So the title of my message this morning is Next Level. And I put a lot of uh, time and energy and prep into this message. It did a number on me as I was preparing for it, so hopefully it speaks uh, to a few of you today. And uh, the title of the message is Next Level because I think it's applicable to all of us in a lot of different facets of our life. There's something in our life that we always want to take to the next level. It could apply to your career. It could apply to your finances. It could apply to your relationships. And it definitely can apply to your faith. And so I thought we'd look at five practical questions to ask ourselves, how can we take something in our life to the next level? And so we're going to look at some scripture. I'll share a couple stories with you guys, and hopefully we'll uh, have some growth that comes out of it. So we've prayed a lot this morning. I'm going to do it one more time because we can't pray enough, and we'll jump in. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Please bless the message that we have. Lord, I just ask for your presence this morning, that you would be here with us that you would just soften our hearts, open our minds, give us the ears to hear what you want us to hear, and just do work this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I work for Cisco Systems here in the Bay Area, and luckily I have the convenience. I live in Danville, and we have an office in Pleasanton, and so I have the convenience on most days not to actually touch the freeway. It's an amazing thing. It's awesome. It's also a rarity, as we know, here in the Bay Area. So on other days, I'm in outside sales, and so I do end up traveling the Bay Area. Um, I end up going to either the South Bay or San Francisco at least once a week. And so I do fight the commute that a lot of us fight. And I just want to share a quick story. So I had a meeting a few weeks ago in San Francisco. It needed to start at 9 a.m. And so I carpooled with a buddy, and we said, we'll give ourselves plenty of time. We'll meet at a Starbucks in downtown Danville. We'll leave at 6.15, and we'll get there plenty of time, maybe a little bit early. So we jump in the car at 6.15. Of course, the first thing we do is we punch the destination into Waze, because we all know in Waze we trust. So we give it to Waze, and it says, we'll be there by 8 o'clock. So we'll be there an hour early, plenty of time. We get on 24, there's traffic, but it's nothing unexpected. We start driving, and uh, we, we kind of start approaching the tunnel, and it really starts slowing down. We lose about five minutes or so. We get through the tunnel, and man, it is just completely slowed down. But never fear, Waze gives us a new route. So, so Waze gives us a new route, and... Um, as you know, as you're coming through 24, you kind of merge right to start going towards the on-ramp to get onto the bridge. But Waze has us go straight, and it's going to give us a nice tour of uh, East Oakland instead. So we get off, and again, we're trusting Waze, and so we end up going through and getting a nice tour of some parts of Oakland. Uh, our time now has gone up, and now we're looking at about 8.15, so we've lost another 10 minutes or so. Um, and at one point, we're driving... And we go underneath this overpass, and it just happens to be the overpass that actually is the on-ramp onto the bridge, but Waze has us going like a completely different direction. So we're supposed to go there, we're driving here, Waze says, go get on 80, make a U-turn, come back on, and get on another on-ramp. Hopefully I'm not the only one that's ever gone that route before. So we do it, and when I get on the on-ramp to come back, it is completely stopped. It is like a complete parking lot to get on the bridge. And so we sit there for literally 10 minutes, and we don't even move. Now the time goes up and it's 8.45, so now we only have 15 minutes. Another five minutes pass and we haven't moved, and now it's 9.05, and now we're going to be late. And so, like, panic starts setting in. Keep in mind, we left at 6.15, uh, and now I'm going to be late for a 9 o'clock meeting. So we come up with a uh, plan B. We get off the freeway, and we say, we're going to go find the nearest BART station. So we find the nearest BART station. We drive in. The first floor, there's plenty of spots. It's like, hallelujah, there's spots. Uh, they're permit only, though, and we don't have a permit. <laughs> So it was a good thought, but it didn't work out. So we go to the second floor, it's full. Third floor, it's full. Fourth floor, it's full. And there's one, the roof is the only floor left. Luckily, we find one spot. 
we park, we jam it down into the, into the station, we get our ticket, we get up onto the uh, platform, and the train pulls up. Doors open, and my heart sinks. And it is packed. There's no room on the car. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's a bummer. We're going to have to wait for the next car to come. I was wrong. Everyone behind me says, we're getting on. So, so that means I'm getting on, too. And so, so I'm getting jammed onto this car, and it was so uncomfortable. I mean, I'm on BART, and I am just smashed in between so many people. There's three or four people that are just like, they're touching me, literally. It's just, it's not okay. I'm not okay with it. Uh, and so I look over at my buddy. I'm trying to make light of the situation, and I say, hey, man, look, the good news is we get to do this all over again on the way home. And he didn't laugh, and no, no one else around me laughed either. And the next thought that I had was, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing? What are all of us doing? Why are we doing this? You know, we're in this car, and we're three hours to get into the city, and we're grinding away. And it was really, that was the question that led me to this whole message today was, why do we, why do, we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And I think we could, some of us, make the argument and justify it and say, we got to provide. i got to put food on the table. Yes, we do. But I'll just speak for myself. Um, I know that's not the only reason that I'm sitting in a three-hour commute, because if I wanted to just put food on the table, I'm sure there's plenty of other things that I could do. And it's really the first question that I wanted to ask in this five-part series of questions, which is, why do we have this desire inside of us where we just want to be successful? Why do we have this desire where we're always seeking the next big thing or seeking something? Or why do we even want to get to the next level in the first place? And I think the world and society has just taken something that God has created for good and used it into something where we, we reach and we're working harder and we're putting in more hours and it's a means to an end because the more that we work and the more that we try, I'll, I'll get that bonus, I'll get that title and take the material things of the world out of it. You know, maybe it's you're in healthcare and you're just trying to, if I could just heal more patients or you're in a nonprofit and I could just reach more people. It's just we keep trying and trying and trying to get to something bigger. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I really don't. I believe that that innate quality inside of all of us, that God has given us that. He's given us that because he wants us to seek and search and seek and search until we find a relationship with him. That's what it's there for. And it's not that uh, bonuses or promotions or titles, none of that's bad. None of it's bad. But it can't be in replacement of a relationship with him. we got to have both. God wants to bless us with all those things. But we got to make sure that we have the relationship with him first so that he can bless us with all those things and that we ultimately are going to be fulfilled through that relationship with God. So that's the first question I just wanted to pose to everybody. And the answer is we have that desire because it's, it's an innate desire that God's created. It's like a tracking mechanism. It keeps us coming back to him. So question number two then is now that we've established that we really need that relationship with God so we can unlock the blessings and what he has for us in our life. How do we unlock the blessing? It's a big question I think a lot of us ask too. A lot of us want the blessing, but what do we do to get the blessing? So let's take a look at some scripture. First one we're going to turn to is Luke chapter 7, verse 2 through 9. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to actually, I like reading out of the Bible, so I'm going to give me a little bit of extra time just to make sure I get there. All right, chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 2. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. 
for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Everyone say he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. So I want to take a look at a couple things. The start of verse 9 is, is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I highlight it, and I just spend time on it every time I come across it. And it's that concept of Jesus was amazed. It's, it's so powerful to me because most of the time what we read about and what we think about is, is we're so amazed by what God does. We're so amazed by what we read about the miracles and the healings and all the blessings of what Jesus does, and rightfully so. But how good is it to know that we serve a God where we can actually amaze him? We can actually amaze him. We have a two-way relationship with him where, yeah, we're going to be amazed by him. But, man, we can also turn the table and we can amaze God. And I want to know what that is. And what is it that amazes Jesus? Because if there's something that amazes Jesus, man, I'm all in. I want to know what it is. And it's faith. It's faith, it says right here. It's faith that amazed Jesus. And it was the man's faith that healed his slave. And that's really the answer to question number two is, what do we do to unlock God's blessing? And we develop and we have a strong faith in Jesus. Let's take another uh, look at another verse, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. So this uh, is a pretty cool story because you get two for one. You get double your money. You get two blessings in the same story, two miracles in the same story in this one. So I'm going to paraphrase, and then we'll start reading in verse 32. So Jesus comes on the scene. He's got his disciples. There's a big group of people surrounding him. And uh, Jairus, the, lo- the leader of a local synagogue, comes running up to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, my daughter, she's sick. She's sick. Please come heal her. Please come heal her. And so Jesus, in response, starts walking to Jairus' home. There's a big crowd, the disciples, everybody's, you know, moving towards Jairus' house. And on the way, there's a woman in the crowd. And the woman in the crowd is ill. She's severely ill. She's spent almost every penny that she has trying to figure out how she can get better. She's seen all the doctors. She's spent all the money, but nothing's worked. Nothing's worked. If anything, she actually continues to get more and more sick. And she has this thought. She's in the midst of this crowd of people, and she has this thought, if I can just touch the garment of Jesus, I'll be healed. I'm not asking him to pray over me. I'm not asking him to lay hands on me. I'm not even going to ask him for that. If I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And so she does. She reaches out. She touches his garment. And immediately, Jesus Jesus notices something. He can tell that something's different. Something's changed. And so he says, "Who who touched my garment? And the disciples think it's crazy because there's this massive crowd of people. Maybe it looked like the BART train that I was on. There's this massive crowd of people. And they say, how could you ask that? It could be any one of these people that could have touched you. But Jesus is persistent. And he says, who touched me? And in verse 32, it says, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
your suffering is over. And we see it again. It's a pattern that we're starting to build here. It's the faith of the woman that led to her healing. And I also like how it says when Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, sometimes it's not that we're just looking for a miraculous healing or a miraculous blessing. Sometimes it's just peace that we need, isn't it? Now, sometimes it's just a little bit of peace. And he says, you're healed. You have peace. Now go. But that's not the end of the story. Remember, they're on their way over to Jairus' house. So this healing, this miracle takes place. They continue on to Jairus' home. Let's keep reading. In verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. I'm going to stop there. The story continues. We know Jesus goes on to heal Jairus' daughter. I think this is profound. What does he say? It says, other people come to him and say, your daughter's dead. Don't, use, don't bother wasting Jesus' time. And just apply that to your life for a minute. How many times do we sit around and other people, maybe it's either you have the thought in your own head or someone actually audibly comes to you and says, and it's over. It's, it, it, it's done. There's no use even trying or you think, I'm too, signif- I'm too insignificant, or my problem's too big. Why should I even bother praying about it? Why should I even bother taking it to Jesus? Uh, so often we have that in our life. We've got people that aren't speaking life over us, or we have the thoughts in our head. But what I love about this is there's another, there's another voice, isn't there? There's another voice, and that voice is Jesus, and he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he says, don't be afraid. Because fear is one of the biggest obstacles that we have to our faith. Now, we got to choose faith over fear. He says it right here. But fear turns into so many things. It's worry, it's control, it's anxiety, and fear is a nasty, nasty thing. And I don't think, there's no coincidence with Jesus, we know that. He says, don't be afraid, just have faith. So we push through the fear, we push through the anxiety, we push through the worry, and we get to faith, and it unlocks blessing and healing and miracles and everything else that ultimately we want, we're looking for. So that's the question, or the answer to question number two. So let's just reestablish. We got question one, why do we have this innate desire? It's put there, God's made us with an innate desire to continue to seek a relationship with him so he can bless us. How do we unlock the blessing? It's by faith. It's by faith that we unlock the blessing. Question three is plain and simple. What is faith? What is faith? It seems like a pretty basic question, but I don't think that it is. I had this thought when I was preparing for this of Ned Flanders. (laughs) Just have faith, brother. Just have faith. And I'm not mocking it because Jesus says just have faith. But how often we just nonchalantly throw it around. Just have faith. Just have faith. But what does that really mean? And so I, I really thought about this, and I think there's a difference between faith and belief. I really do, and I want to take a look at that. So this, this book has some truth. There's another book that has some truth. It's called The Dictionary. So I thought we could start there and take a look at the, uh, the two different uh, definitions of the words. You can see belief is an acceptance that a statement is true. Belief's an acceptance that a statement's true. But faith is more than that. Faith requires trust. And this is just according to the dictionary. But I believe that that's true as well. I believe that faith is actually about taking what you believe, because you do need belief as a foundation of your faith, but I believe that faith 
is actually taking your beliefs and putting them into action. Faith is about choosing a lifestyle. It's not easy. It doesn't mean we're going to make all the easy decisions, just the right decisions, but choosing to live a lifestyle of faith is what we need to set out to do. But it's not easy to do. I think about where I've started and where I've been in my life and how often sometimes we get to the place of, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, I believe in heaven, so I'm good. Well, technically you are good. You know, we believe you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you give your life to him and you're saved. And you got a place in eternity. So technically, that is correct. But today's message is about next level. Today's message isn't about just squeaking into heaven by the skin of our teeth. And that's not what I want. I want to be known. I want to go into heaven and I want to fly through. I had this, uh, I traveled this week. So <clears throat> the illustration is not perfect, but I'm going to use it. Judgment Day comes, and I want Judgment Day to be like the security line at the airport. And I don't want to be in that standard security check-in line, man. I want my TSA pre-check. You know what I mean? I've, I've paid my dues in advance. I've done my background check. And I don't have to take off my shoes, my belt, my laptop, and my liquids stay in my bag. I fast-track that right through. But what's on the other side? I don't want that extra pat down. I want a clear shot to Jesus. I want a clear shot to Jesus. I want his arms open wide. I want the hug from Jesus, and I want to hear the audible, well done, my loyal and faithful servant. Come on now. And today's not about the minimum. Today's about taking our game to the next level. We don't just need to believe. We need faith. We need more. We need more. So I wrote down a couple of things to kind of further illustrate this, some key points. Here we go. We believe in forgiveness, but it's our faith that leads us to release offense, show compassion, and ultimately forgive. We believe in love, but it's our faith that leads us to love unconditionally, not just when it's convenient. We believe in prayer, but it's our faith that gets us on our knees in complete surrender. We believe in giving, but it's our faith that leads us to write that tithe check, regardless of knowing its final destination. We believe God's worthy of praise, but it's our faith that turns music into worship. We believe in God, but it's our faith that leads us to live a lifestyle of putting him first in everything that we do. And we walk in faith in confidence, not in trepidation. Not in trepidation, not in hesitation. It's in confidence because we know. We act and we choose to make certain decisions and we choose to live a lifestyle because we're confident in anticipation of what God's going to do in our life. Not just in our lifestyle here and what we're going to live here. We're confident in what we're going to receive in heaven. So we choose to walk in confidence and faith. Okay, that was number three. We all, we all good? All right. I'm going to keep moving because we're short on time. So um, number four. So we've established now that there's a little bit of a difference between belief and faith. 
But why is that so hard? I'm up here talking like it's no big deal, like it's easy, but it's not. We know that. And I think there's two simple things, two simple reasons of why it can be difficult at times. Number one, there's a cost. There is a cost. It's not free. It's not easy. There is a cost to living a lifestyle of faith. And number two, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it was just, we just forget how good God really is. We just forget what he's done in our life. And so it makes it hard. Let's take a look at two pieces of scripture where this is further illustrated. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And here's my my summary and application of this, is Jesus is is telling us that we're going to have to make some difficult decisions. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be pleasant necessarily at times. But there's a cost to living a lifestyle of faith, and we have to make the right decisions, not the easy decisions. But I also think that this story is here to let us know that he knows it's not going to be easy. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He's telling us, I know it's going to be hard, but that's what we do. We make the right decisions. The second point was that sometimes we just fail to remember how good God really is and everything that he's really done in our life. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he said. And so there's a couple takeaways I had from reading that. Number one, it's crazy to think about. I always tell myself, oh man, if I lived in biblical times and I could see Jesus in the flesh, I would just have perfect faith. I would be bulletproof. (laughs) But we see that that's not the case. And the disciples were there and they were eyewitness accounts to these miracles where Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people with virtually nothing. Virtually nothing. And yet you fast forward into the near future And they're sitting there in a boat arguing because they forgot to bring bread when the miracle maker is sitting there right next to them. So I can relate. I can relate. And so can Jesus. The table goes both ways. 
Jesus can relate because he knows the disciples were there. He encountered what that was like. But the key takeaway is that, man, we just can't forget. We just got to remember God's done amazing things in all of our life. If we really go back and think about it, and yet panic sets in when we're in a sticky situation, we just got to remember everything that Jesus has done in our life. I was driving uh, my five-year-old and my seven-year-old to school recently, and um, the mornings can be a little crazy, as we all know. So I'm driving them to school, and I'm worried they're going to be late, and then I'm worried I'm going to be late, and I got people calling me and texting me, and the people are driving all crazy on the road. It's like, rah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then I'm stopped dead in my tracks while I'm driving, and I'm just overcome with emotion. I'm just overcome. I'm overcome with emotion because there was a time I didn't know if we'd be able to have any more kids. Janine and I went through four miscarriages, and it was extremely painful. And there was a time I didn't know if I'd have another five-year-old in my back seat. Tyler prayed over us for healing. And we conceived Ava naturally. She's a miracle. And then we had another miracle. And I think we're done with those types of miracles for now. (laughs) We're praying for other miracles. But it wasn't just that. She's in the back seat and she's singing worship music. And man, we've prayed so many times that we don't just want to have the kids. Man, we want the kids to, to know Jesus at an early age. Come on, Lord, just have them encounter you. Have them know who you are. Just be with them at an early age. Lord, I just want them to know you. So you can understand why all of a sudden I'm reminded as I'm driving in this crazy, hectic morning that I have a miracle in my back seat and that she also knows who Jesus is and she's singing worship music. It was amazing. And we can't forget how good God is. He's done so much for all of us. Okay. Question five. Last and final question. Worship team, I'm going to just give you one couple more minutes and we'll get you up here. This is the most important question of the whole day. Now that we know we have this innate desire because it's been put in us by by the Lord to seek a relationship with him so he can bless us. We unlock the blessing because we have faith. We know that faith and belief are two different things. They're very closely related, but faith is about more. And we know that it's going to be hard, but we push through. But how do we overcome? And it's a one-word answer. The answer is surrender. And it's utter and complete surrender. Surrender is the foundation to our faith. It's the foundation to our relationship with the Lord. It's the foundation to our blessings, our breakthrough. It's all about surrender. I'm stretched to think about anything in my life that I shouldn't surrender to God. So I'm going to talk about that, but I thought I'd tell one more story about my oldest, my seven-year-old. There was a big milestone in our house recently because I taught her how to ride a bike. That's a special moment for me. You parents out there know, know what I'm talking about. I felt like a little bit of a failure because I waited so long. But she loved her training wheels. I don't want to take that away from her, you know? 
<clears throat> but it wasn't easy. Um, she liked her training wheels, and so she was having a good time, and she knew how to ride the bike, and life was good. But I said, Ella, you're getting a little too old for that. We've got to take your training wheels off, and there is more for you. It, it, it is better when you get those training wheels off, but it took some convincing. She wasn't ready to do it right away. <clears throat> so finally I convinced her, and then we get out there, and man, my technique was way off. I didn't even know there was a technique for teaching a kid how to ride a bike, but I found out pretty quickly there is a technique. I had like my, my hand back here on the seat and then you know, on the handlebars, and I'm crunched over, and she's kind of heavy, so I'm like you know, trying to run. It was terrible. It, just, it, it didn't go well. So the first time out, it was not a success. We, we gave it a little bit of a break. We tried you know, a couple weeks later. We get her back out there and took a little bit of convincing again because it didn't go well the first time, but we got her back out. And um, no judgment, but I did look up some techniques on YouTube, and it really helped. It really helped. We put the hands on the torso from behind, and then anyway, if you have questions, see me afterwards. I can, I'll hook you up. So we, you know, we get out there, we're on the track, and I'm teaching her how to ride the bike. Um, and it was, it was, there was a moment where it, we were still working at it, and it wasn't, she still hadn't taken off. And she just got discouraged. You know, it was like, it broke my heart. She's like, Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to put my training wheels back on. You know? And of course, what do we do as parents? We say, mm-mm. First of all, I don't know how to put your training wheels back on. <laughs> I, am not, I am not handy. What I can't do with zip ties and like double-sided Velcro, I just... Anyway, um... I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> she's discouraged, and I said, no, Ella girl, come on. You get back on that bike. We're going to do this. I believe in you. You can do it. We're going to do it. Let's go. I you know, keep pushing her a little bit to get back on, and she gets back on. And um, anyway, I'm going to stop right there. I got a little video clip that I prepared that I wanted to show you guys for this. Let's go ahead and roll the video. Uh, it was a special moment for, for me, a special moment for both of us. You know, as a, as a parent, you sit there, and it's like, you, you watch your kid push through something they didn't think that they knew how to do, and uh, just to see the pure joy on her face. I, I, we all take so much pride and joy in seeing that happen. Um, but again, it wasn't easy. And what made the moment even more special to me, uh, I'm, I'm not making this up, I wouldn't do that, especially in church. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching her. She did that, and then she actually, like, through, a little bit later, she went all the way around the track. It was awesome. All the way around the track. She's going all the way around the track, and I have this thought that that experience is not just an experience about riding a bike, man. That experience is also about the experience we have with the relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the same thing. You know, sometimes in life, we get, we get comfortable with where we're at, and God says, I got more. I got more for you. I got more, but we don't want to take our training wheels off. Those training wheels, maybe it's a crutch, maybe it's bondage, whatever, but we don't, we don't, we don't know what else is out there. And God says, and you got to trust me, I got more for you. We're going to take those training wheels off. And the key to this story is that Ella surrendered. She had to surrender to the trust in me. She had to surrender to her own abilities to actually get up on the bike and start riding the bike. The key to the story was that Ella was able to surrender and we're able to surrender when we're able to surrender God sits back, unfolds blessing. And the same joy and pride that I had with Ella watching her, God has that same 
joy, and he takes the same pride in us and watching us succeed. And it was such a powerful illustration. Hopefully you feel it. I was there, so it was easy for me. But. <laughs> all right, so a couple just other key points. It's the posture of surrender is kind of what I'm trying to get at here. If you look at all the stories that we read in the Bible, there was faith that led to the miracles and the blessing and the breakthrough, but it wasn't just the faith alone. It was that all those people had a posture of surrender. All of them did. The Roman officer said, I'm not even worthy to come and see you myself, Jesus. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to have you in my home. Just say the word from where you're at and my servant will be healed. How about the the woman that was sick? And she didn't ask for the blessing. All she did was just say, if I could just touch his garment in complete surrender. She comes forward and she falls at his feet. She's weeping. She falls at his feet in a posture of surrender. Jairus came running to Jesus, heal my daughter, heal her, please, please. It's a posture of surrender. If you've ever tried to pick up a kid when they don't want to be picked up, they have this amazing talent where they just contort their bodies and it's virtually impossible to pick up a kid if they don't want to be picked up. You know what I'm talking about? It's the same thing with us. We put walls up. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to bless us. We have to have a posture of surrender. It's why we do what we do in worship. I used to think it was crazy and weird. I didn't understand. It's not about making a show or being known. It's about a posture of surrender. We're giving praise to the King of Kings when when we do this. But it's also a posture of surrender. And guess what else is in that posture of surrender? It's a posture to receive. It's a posture to receive, Lord, I receive it. I receive what you have for me, Lord. Because when your kids come running to you and they want to be picked up, it's a totally different story. They go, Daddy, 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 pick me up. And you sweep them off your feet. And it's easy. And the Lord wants to sweep us off our feet, man. He wants to hold us. we got to have a posture of surrender to get there. And guys, I know that sometimes it's a little bit harder for us because we got this innate need to protect and provide and be manly. And sometimes I think, and I'll just speak for myself, it gets in our way and it's a block to us surrendering to Jesus. But man, the manliest thing that we can do as men is surrender our life to Jesus. That load's too big, man. You can't do it. You can't carry that burden of your finances and protecting and providing for your family. You're not meant to do it. You surrender that to God and watch how much of a better husband and father and friend and coworker you can be. Just a couple quick, <clears throat> trying to wrap this up. I know we're behind. Um, it's not just for guys, it's for all of us too. But I just want a little shout out to the fellas because that's the camp I'm in. <laughs> so it's also, it's, it's hard to surrender your kids and your spouse because I think it's, man, we love them so much. I'd do anything for my kids. I'd do anything for my spouse. I love them so much. How could I surrender them to God? How could I trust somebody else with that? It's because we have to come to the realization that God loves our kids and our spouse more than we do, as hard as that is to believe. He's the creator. He created them. So when we can trust that he loves them more than we do, the prayer isn't fix my spouse, fix my kids. It's God, let your will be done. God, I know you love them. 
let your will be done and reveal to me and share with me, Lord, how I can play my part. Man, we surrender our kids and we surrender that worry and that fear and that control. Get that out of your heart and God replaces that with a greater ability to love. And that's where we need to go. It's all about surrender. And I'm gonna end with one more verse in Mark chapter 10. This will be short. It's verse 32. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. The disciples and the people following Jesus had no idea what was going on. Jesus knew that he was leading from the front. He was on his way to conquer sin. And I don't know where you're at this morning, whether you're completely in awe of Jesus or you're overwhelmed with fear, it doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus is in front. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's taking you. He went to do the ultimate surrender on the cross. And so we can surrender our life to him for eternal life. Let's bow our heads.